Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. chapter 19. We'll open with a, a word of prayer and uh, just continue in studying the victory of our Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before our study to give you thanks and to ask you, Father, to bless our study, uh, bless those who tune in, uh, bless me, Father, for reading these words of revelation and those who hear them, and bless us, Father, with the ability to keep what we hear, the instructions that are given in this wonderful book. We praise you, Father, We ask this blessing in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So we are in uh, Revelation chapter 19. Uh, let's get straight into the study. I want to begin, though, uh, just by going back to chapter 19, and I'm sorry, chapter 18, where we were last week. And uh, last week we were in chapter 18, and this was uh, part two of chapter 17, which is the fall of Babylon. So in chapter um, 17, we saw the fall of the spiritual Babylon. And then in chapter 18, we saw the fall of the commercial and political Babylon. So it was two uh, collapses of Babylon. And just picking up from where we were last week, in one hour, for in one hour, so great riches is come to nothing. So there's, there's a sense of uh, a disbelief that those who are behind this, they really have a sense of uh, uh, disbelief in uh, what is happening, and they're just trying to cope with this. And every shipmaster and all the company in ships and the sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off. They are just in shock. They stood afar off and cried they, they their their party has come to an end they stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning saying what city is like unto this great city and they cast dust on their heads and cried they're just in despair they cast dust on their heads and cried weeping and wailing this is an intense loss They had bet their entire lives on this path of wealth that they were on. Uh, they took the mark of the beast in order to participate in this commercial endeavor, and they were doing extremely well. But unfortunately, the whole thing has come crashing down on them. And so 
It says here, they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, it seems so permanent. And that's really the, the tremendous blessing that we have in, in understanding this scripture and, and Christ giving us this scripture before, you know, he wants us to know the things that are going to come to pass, uh, things that must shortly come to pass. And this is the blessing, that when everybody else is looking at this uh, enterprise as permanent, as powerful, as uh, unassailable, we're looking at it and saying it's just a matter of time. We are waiting for our Lord, and it's just a matter of time. So these people are in complete shock. They are uh, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness or her abundance. And, and we can add all who took the mark of the beast as well. Uh, but all who were made, uh, were, they were made rich, uh, all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. It's, it's unbelievable. Just when God acts, he acts decisively. And this is the hour. Just going to check that I'm back online. Okay, it looks like I'm back online. Uh, some just technical difficulty there with the uh, connection out here. So uh, I was just saying that here, when we read in verse 20 of Revelation 18, and this is going to uh, continue in Revelation 19, there is a completely different reaction in heaven than there is on earth. So on earth, those who dwell on, upon the earth, they are despondent, they're in shock, they can't believe what's happened, how could this be? Uh, they're just in complete shock and uh, dismay. However, in heaven, there is a completely different reaction. In heaven, we read, Rejoice over her, you heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets. So the holy people of God are to rejoice in the collapse of Babylon. For God has avenged you on her. And so we see here one of the great uh, agendas of this great city, this great system of, of Babylon. One of the agendas was to destroy God's people. And that's why when we go back to ancient Babylon, when it was established by King Nimrod, that this great uh, magnificent city that he was building and this great tower that he was building, uh, God cut it short and he confused them. Uh, and, and quite clearly, as we read here now in Revelation, when they can finally have their way, uh, we see that part of the agenda, it's not just to make a name for themselves and establish their own authority, but it is to stamp out and destroy all the people of God. So in the end time, as this Babylonian system uh, gets in full speed, full traction, it's going to be hunting down the saints of God, hunting down the people of God and destroying them because we are antithetical to the Babylonian system. And so God cut it short anciently, but you know, seven heads, it has been continuing ever since, and it has been hunting down, persecuting, destroying the people of God. But here in the end time, it gets to run uh, unhindered uh, for a season, for a short period. So it's running unhindered, uh, this Babylonian system, and, and it's causing great sorrow for the people of God. But Christ told us in, in, in John, 16 that our sorrow will be turned to joy and this is the moment when the sorrow of the people of god is turned to joy this is the moment as as the people of god are crying out for god to take vengeance for god to respond and god's like not yet not yet a little more patience uh, this is the moment when he finally acts and avenges uh, god's people so rejoice for god has avenged you on her and a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, 
and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city, Babylon, be thrown down, and shall be found no more at all. So it's going to be a, spe a spectacular end. It's going to be a violent end. There's going to be complete destruction. And with violence, uh, basically, uh, what she, the violence that she has perpetrated, this violence is going to be turned on her head. And she's going to receive uh, just as she has uh, put out. And the voice of the harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in you. It's over. The party is over. You know, it's, uh, there's other prophecies that say that the voice of uh, uh, merriment and the voice of the harpers, or the sound of the harpers, will be heard again in Jerusalem. You know, so all of this destruction is going to come upon Jerusalem and the, the abomination of desolation while the Babylonian system is coming into its peak. Uh, but then there's going to be this great reversal. And Jerusalem shall be established, and Babylon, there shall be no more mirth heard again in, in the Babylonian city. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in you. It is over. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in you. It just, it's completely over. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in you. And Christ said it in Matthew 24 that right up until the end, they shall be marrying and giving in marriage. So as much as they rail against marriage, as much as they try to belittle marriage, uh, it's, it's an institution that although they pervert it, it remains right up until the end. And, and uh, now never again will the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride be heard in Babylon. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. So these mighty men of the earth, the multi-multi-billionaires, multi-multi-billionaires of the earth, great men of great influence, uh, it's over. For by your sorceries were all nations deceived. So this, this harlot, uh, going right back again to the establishment of Babylon by Nimrod, and, and his wife uh, Semiramis and their son Tammuz, uh, this Babylonian system, this, this systematic way of thinking and of uh, capturing men, souls of men and enslaving them and, and putting them to uh, this great purpose of defying God and, and hunting down the saints and destroying the saints and, and presenting all of this with uh, a religious uh, cloak so that you know people sign on to it and they feel like they're doing something righteous and holy when they're actually doing the work of the devil. It goes all the way back to the original Babylonian system and, and from there God confused the language and so they spread out. And every single civilization all over the earth, this is the root of, of all civilization. Doesn't matter, and all religion, doesn't matter. It's got different names, maybe slightly different practices, but we can trace all of these practices and we can trace all of these names right back to this original Nimrod Babylonian system. And so now, uh, and, and even Israel, Israel's the one nation that didn't have the same foundation. Its foundation is the Lord God and, and the code of conduct and the law of God. This is the one nation that's set apart from all of the other civilizations. But even this nation participated in Nimrod worship and, and the worship of Semiramis. And so truly, Satan has succeeded in deceiving all nations. And so he says here, for by your sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her, well, look what we found in her. In her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. This is the real purpose that the devil has. So he's trying to be like the Most High, but he hates the Most High. He hates Jesus Christ, and he hates the body of Christ, and he hates the people of Christ. And so part of his uh, agenda, a big part of his agenda, is hunting down and destroying the people of God. Now, he says, after these things, so now 
the, the collapse of Babylon, chapter 17 and 18. So uh, we're going into more detail of the fall. And, and so in 17 and 18, we get the detail of how this great whore was judged. And there was a spiritual uh, whore that was judged. And then there was this commercial and political uh, system that is also founded on the whore, also judged. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. So everyone now is rejoicing in heaven. I heard uh, a, great, a great voice of a lot of people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And so we'll go going back to the throne room in uh, chapter 4, where we saw these living creatures and all these angels and and, and we saw them in heaven, and then you know the camera moves to earth, and we see all of this uh, controversy and chaos in the earth, but everything is orderly in heaven, and everything is happening according to the agenda that God has in heaven. And now it is all complete, and, and John hears this great voice of many people, many souls in heaven, saying hallelujah, or praise Jah, or praise Jehovah, salvation, and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. His judgments are true and righteous. And I think this is really important because many of us, uh, we might think that we're more righteous than God. And so you'll, you, you'll have people today just very tolerant in the church. Everything's fine and everybody's fine. And I don't want to judge. And, you know, the Bible tells us not to condemn. It's, not our, it's above our pay grade to say someone is condemned to, uh, you know, going to be you know, cut off and in the lake of fire. Uh, and it's above our pay grade as well to say that somebody's going to inherit eternal life. This is not our position. This is God's, God's judgment. And, and that's, that's solely the, the, in, in the purview of Jesus Christ. Uh, but we can judge. We can evaluate. In, in fact, God praises in the, in the epistles, God praises those who are able to identify false apostles. He praises those who do not tolerate false doctrine. That requires evaluation. That requires judgment. And, and we must be people who can judge and evaluate. And we must hate evil. We must hate what God hates. And so we have to make sure that we're not so loose and so permissive and so tolerant in the church of God that we actually love and will tolerate what God hates. And God, again, if we read the epistles carefully, God condemns those brethren that tolerate what he hates. And so here the, the holy angels and, and, and the saints are, are able to say that God's judgments are true and righteous. He's a, he's a righteous judge and his judgments are true. For he has judged the great whore. This, she's great, you know. She has been around for so long and she has done so much damage and, and her influence is just so incredible. It's so wide-ranging. She's everywhere. You know, in fact, here I am in Europe and I'm, I'm looking around and I'm like, wow, she's everywhere. She's in the advertising. She's just all around. And even though it's a different country, uh, the, the influence is the same. You have all the religions. doesn't matter whether you're looking at uh, Christianity, Catholicism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. She's there. She's everywhere. And he's finally judged her. And he says here, This great whore, which did corrupt the earth. Again, all civilizations. She, she began in Babylon, and she spread everywhere. And she corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and has avenged and God has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand that's her real agenda she puts makeup on she presents herself as beautiful she puts jewels on and beautiful clothing and a lot of people are seduced by her but her agenda is to slaughter the servants of God who would stand in her way and now God has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand and again, they say, Alleluia, or Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up 
forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, again, we're going back to the throne room that we saw that John introduced us to in chapter 4. The four and twenty elders and the four creatures fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Rejoice. Uh, so I want to now, now just go back to Deuteronomy to show that this was this is not new. And, and, you know, the scriptures, and this is something that we're trying to emphasize, is that the Bible speaks with one voice. It speaks with one voice. And we can study the book of Deuteronomy and see the entire plan of God laid out by Moses in this one book of Deuteronomy. Uh, even better, we go from Genesis to, to Deuteronomy and see the whole plan of God in detail in the Torah. And then the rest is really commentary. You know, we've got the Law and the Prophets, which comprise the Old Testament and the writings. And, and the Prophets and the writings are really commentary and, and exposition of the Torah. And then we have the New Testament, which is totally integrated with the Torah. And now finally we're here in the book of Revelation, and what we see is the book of Revelation ties everything together. And our God speaks with one voice. And all scripture is, is, is good for doctrine and for correction. And so we're not fooled by anybody who comes along. They could be holding a Bible and tell us that, that you know, God says, if it doesn't sit right and fit with the entire story of the Bible, sorry, we're not interested. Or they could be holding a Quran or a Bhagavad Gita or any other quote-unquote holy text. And they want to present it to us. Sorry, our God speaks with one voice. And we know his voice. And we will not follow anybody else. And so right in Deuteronomy, look what the, uh, Moses, the prophet Moses writes. Rejoice. This is Deuteronomy. O you nations, with his people, all nations... For he will avenge the blood of his servants. Right in Deuteronomy, this is the will of God, that he's a patient God. He doesn't act right away, but he does act. And, 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 and Jesus Christ told us as much when he said, never give up. Don't stop praying. Be, be like the woman, the widow, who just keeps on knocking at the judge's door, asking for judgment. And, and, and finally, this, this uh, evil judge finally acts on behalf of the poor widow just because of her importunity, her, her persistence. And so here we're all the way back in Deuteronomy, and Moses writes that God will indeed avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people, right here in Deuteronomy. And again, a lot of people, this is a, we're not going to be fooled by anybody who has a, a voice that does not align with the voice of God, which means the entire text of the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does the God of the Bible promise heaven. He promises the kingdom of heaven, which is coming to earth, and that's what we're seeing now as we're reading uh, the book of Revelation, the final sort of the eschatological uh, uh, buckle on the belt that brings everything together, that it's all about the earth. And God will avenge, Moses says. He'll be merciful. He'll avenge his, his servants. He will bring vengeance upon his adversaries. And he'll be merciful unto his land and to his people. And this is the promise to Abraham, land and people. And so no matter what, this is, this is ultimately what we're looking for, is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that he will inherit land and people. He'll have an inheritance. Uh, continuing Isaiah, again, the prophets are commentary on the Torah. But here Isaiah says, And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night or day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever and ever, from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. Again, Revelation is repeating what the prophet Isaiah saw. So these Christians who say we don't need the Old Testament, it's just the, the final book of the New Testament has over 500 references. And I can't, I, we can't even quote them all, but we're trying to quote as many as we can just to show that it's one voice. It's, a, it's an integrated whole. And we can't really understand the book of Revelation without the Old Testament. 
and, and where people get into trouble is they try to read the book of Revelation independent of the Old Testament. But all these symbols and this symbolic language, it's all in the Old Testament. And when we tie it with Revelation, then we don't go astray. We can better understand what the book is actually saying. So Isaiah writes, It shall not be quenched this fire night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. It's a thorough collapse. And this is what John saw as well. In the Psalm, Psalm 119, speaking of the, the righteousness of God's judgments, David writes, You are righteous. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. The heaven and the earth and all that is therein shall sing for Babylon. And that's just what we saw in the opening chapter 19. That although the earth and those who dwell on the earth are in great despair, and they are weeping and wailing and throwing dust on their heads, uh, the heavens and those in heaven are, are just delighted with God's judgment. And so here... He says um, that the, uh, sorry, David says that the, the Lord's judgments are upright. And then Jeremiah says that the heaven and the earth and all that is therein shall sing for Babylon. So it's it, Babylon, it's over. And now they're singing for the spoiler shall come upon her from the north. And so an indication of how this violent attack is going to occur. It's going to come upon her from the north, says the Lord. Continuing in chapter 19, verse 5 of Revelation. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. And again, this is language from the Old Testament. If we look at Psalms, David writes in chapter 22, You that fear the Lord, praise him. All you, the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all ye, the seed of Israel. Same language that we see in Revelation. In Psalm 134, verse 1, Behold, bless you the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. And so all the servants of the Lord, we're just going to be so filled with praise for our righteous God and the righteousness of his judgment, that his judgment will be pure and righteous and holy. And we'll rejoice over his judgment. In Psalm 135, verse 1, the next chapter, says, Praise you, the Lord. Praise you, the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord. Continuing in Revelation, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. So it's like a lot of people. It sounds like a lot of people talking. And as the voice of many waters. So he's trying to, he's, he's hearing this voice and he's trying to describe it to us. And he's saying, you know, it, it, it sounded like a lot of water. Like if you were to think of a, a waterfall. And as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So there was just so much joy that it's all of heaven just lit up. And just praising this God that all of this evil that has been on the earth for so long, for thousands of years, and the, the success of the whore, all of it has just come to a sudden end when God finally acts. And he's omnipotent. And this is, again, why it's important for us to read this book, that as powerful as this beast system is going to be, we will have the patience to say, yeah, just for a little season, just for a little season, three and a half years, and then it's over. And yes, it's going to seem protracted is going to seem like forever but we know it's coming to an end because God is omnipotent and he will crush it and so here there's this great joy that the Lord God reigns and again that's language that's borrowed from the Old Testament here in Psalm 93 the Lord reigns David just is just so affirmative and it's just uh, conclusive the Lord reigns he is clothed with majesty the Lord is clothed with strength wherewith he has girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. In Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Again, just it's categorical. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice, the whole earth, 
let the multitude of the isles be glad thereof. Now Ezekiel, uh, seeing the, the, who is this God that, that uh, John is interacting with, because Ezekiel had an interaction with the same God. He says here in Ezekiel 1, Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives, so he'd been taken captive, by the river of Shabar, that, or Kabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. So Ezekiel had this tremendous privilege of having the heavens opened and seeing visions of God. It's the same thing that happened to John. Heavens opened and he was able to see visions of God. And so there should be some correlation, if it's the same God, there should be some correlation between what Ezekiel saw and what John saw. And certainly it is the same God. He speaks with one voice. And drop, dropping down to verse 24, And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters. So constantly, whenever there's this interaction with God, uh, the, the, the men of God, in, in heaven, what they hear are these great waters. Like, and I have a call sound. And so he continues here to say that I heard like the noise of great waters as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of a host. When they stood, they let down their wings. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. So uh, both prophets um, hear the same thing when they're given this uh, great privilege of, of having a vision of heaven. And they say they hear this, this voice of many waters. Uh, this is what they hear. And the earth shined with his glory. Uh, Daniel, when he uh, had a vision of God, he said here that his body was like the barrel, his voice like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire. And certainly when we were introduced to Jesus Christ, the glorified Christ in chapter 1, uh, it told us that his eyes were like flames of fire. And in fact, he introduces himself to one of the churches to say, uh, this is he whose eyes are like the flames of fire. Get your act together. And so here Daniel sees him and says, his eyes as lamps of fire and his arms and his feet in color to polished brass. And notice the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. So, so when they, they see, they hear these prophets, it's consistent. It's consistent. And I'm sorry, anybody's going to come to us to say they have heard from God or they've seen God. Uh, it better be consistent with what the prophets heard and what the prophets saw. In Psalm 18, David writes, And he wrote upon a cherub, and did fly, yes, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. So same thing that Ezekiel saw. Isaiah, he says, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity the meek of the earth. And that's exactly what we saw when we were studying the book of Luke, that uh, Christ is coming to redeem the poor, to, to act on behalf of the poor and to bring down the, the powerful and the mighty. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. So the earth certainly needs smiting, it needs correcting, and he will do that. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And we need to be in alignment with God's judgments. Again, we can't be holier than God. We agree with God. When God judges, we say amen and hallelujah. Continuing in chapter 19, verse 7, he says here, Let us be glad and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And we need to be careful here. A lot of people will read this verse, and it speaks of the marriage of the Lamb, and it speaks of his wife, and so they automatically come to the conclusion that the saints must have been whisked off to heaven, and then they were before the throne in heaven, heaven, 
and they were married to Christ in heaven. And, and, and the marriage took place. In this single verse, the marriage took place. And I, I would say, let's have some caution and, and be careful uh, that, that this does not necessarily mean that the marriage takes place right here and now. That the, the marriage of the Lamb has come, meaning now there's no more impediment uh, to the marriage because his wife is finally ready. She's made herself ready. And, and the fact that he refers to her as his wife Again, this does not imply that the marriage has taken place because in this um, custom of, of the people of God that there is, and we, we've kind of, we don't have it anymore, but there was this whole system of betrothal that a man would be betrothed with his uh, fiance, we would say today perhaps, um, but at that betrothal, it was a legally binding agreement. And they were married. They were as good as married. The betrothal was, was perceived as marriage. And they were then, from that point, referred to as husband and wife, even though they were not officially married. And the man would go away and he would prepare a place. And then that he would return to, to receive his wife. And then they would be married. And then they would um, uh, engage in relations to confirm the marriage. And so they could be betrothed for some time before the marriage uh, actually takes place. And so we'll see that here in Luke 1, when we were studying the book of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, notice this, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. So they're engaged of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So they're not married yet, they're engaged. Verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, after, after he Gabriel explained to her what was going to happen, uh, that she was going to conceive and be the mother of, of Jesus Christ, she says, how can this be? Notice this, seeing I know not a man. So she was not yet married. Uh, even though she was engaged, she wasn't yet married. So she's saying to the angel, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't had relations with Joseph. So how could it be that I'm pregnant? In, in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea. This is when the, the census, unto the city of David, everybody had to return back to their city, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So that's why he had to go back there to be taxed. Notice this, with Mary, his espoused wife. So there's this notion of being an espoused wife. Not yet married, but still referred to as wife. And she was being great with child. So, you know, he's not, he has not had any relationships with her, but they are in this betrothal. And, and, and he was going to put her away, which uh, putting her away would mean he'd have to actually divorce her to get out of the betrothal. It was that legally binding. Uh, but the angel warned him not to divorce her. In Matthew, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So before they came together, so they were not married yet, but she was espoused to him, she was pregnant. Then Joseph, her husband, again, they're not married yet, but it's her husband because they're betrothed. Being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away privately. So notice he would have to divorce her. To get out of the betrothal, it's legally binding. He'd actually have to divorce her. So he was going to do it privately because he did love her and he didn't want to ruin her reputation. Um, but so while he thought on these things, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, you son of David, fear not to take unto you Mary, your wife. So she's already his wife, but he mustn't be afraid to marry her. So again, this betrothal system we have to understand. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, we uh, understand now from Ephesians this relationship that Christ has with his wife, which is, again, the betrothed wife. So we, we need to understand this, this powerful system of betrothal. Here in uh, 
chapter five, the, the the marriage chapter of Ephesians, husband loves your love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. So the church is referred to as Christ's wife, even though the marriage hasn't taken place yet, because we are betrothed. And in fact, there's a scripture where Paul says, I have espoused you unto Christ and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So that's what he's been doing with his wife, his betrothed wife, is, is enabling us to purify ourselves and to wash our, our clothes in his blood. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And that's what's happening. That's what we're watching and observing now in the book of Revelation. That from chapter 6 to 18, the saints have been washing their linen in the blood of Christ. You know, we, we've been purifying ourselves in the blood of Christ so that we can be presented to Christ as a glorious church. We're his wife, but we've made, we finally made ourselves ready. So the, the espoused wife, the betrothed wife, is now finally ready to be married. And, and it's all been enabled by the husband, Christ, by our husband, Christ that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, which is totally fitting for Jesus Christ. He deserves nothing less. And so uh, we want to ensure that we are washing ourselves in purity. He that has this hope within him purifies himself, even as Christ is pure. So this is going to be a wonderful marriage that is enabled by Christ. It's, it's amazing that we human beings can tabernacle with God for eternity. But we have to be purified to do that. In chapter 19, verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. This, this is a gift of God, that we should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, so this is part of the, the wedding garment, is to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. And then he explains what this clean and white and fine linen is. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. That's what it is. This fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Contrast how the saints are dressed, this beautiful bride, is in fine linen that's clean and white, which is righteousness. Let's compare that to the great whore and how she was dressed. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones. And, and she's the one dressing herself. Decked with gold and precious stones. This is what she thinks of herself. And pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So there is a complete contrast between the pure bride of Christ and the righteousness of the saints, the, the, the clean and white linen, and this whore, and how she bedecks herself with jewels and precious stones and purple and scarlet. Now this righteousness of the saints that we were granted, it goes calls back to chapter 6 that we've, we've referred to several times, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Well, chapters 17 and 18 answer the question. That's when. Uh, but in the meantime, the saints are suffering and they're being persecuted. Uh, but what happens when they're persecuted? Verse 11, white robes were given unto them, unto every one of them. So to her, to the bride, was granted that she can dress in this fine linen. It was granted that she be given fine linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. And here we see how they receive this fine linen. White robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So more will be granted this white linen. And he says unto me, and all the saints have to be willing to be martyred. We may not, we may not be martyred, but I think woe unto any of us if there is something that we are going to put before our God. 
that our God has sacrificed everything for us, but there's something that we want to put before him. And so we're not quite willing to give everything to God. Uh, no, this is not going to work. We have to be people that love not our lives unto the death. And we're willing to give everything, even our lives. We're just so filled. We're overflowing with gratitude that we will give everything to God, even our lives. And, and, and it's, just, it's, just a, it's not like we have to work this up. We, we can't help it. He is such a glorious God. He's such a beautiful husband. He's such a, a, a gracious Lord that our response is just hallelujah. Praise him, praise him, praise him. And we'll give anything for him. And this is what God wants. We may not have to, but he wants to see that we love the Lord our God with all of our mind and all of our heart and all of our soul. That's what he's looking for. And this now results in this righteousness of the saints. So he goes on to say then, <clears throat> and he says unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be this great feast, this great celebration. And he says unto me, These are the true sayings of God. These are the true sayings of God. And this is again why, this, why we have this apocalypsis. That the people in the world have no idea that a great marriage is going to be taking place. And so, you know, they're consumed with the seduction of the whore. But we know that everything is moving towards this great moment in time when Jesus Christ is going to marry mankind and going to, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He's going to dwell with man the way that he wanted to dwell with Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve failed him. And so this whole redemptive process has been put in place and we know that ultimately that marriage between Adam and Eve was symbolic of the marriage, the, the covenant, the tabernacling that God wants between himself and mankind. And so the apocalypse is to tell us it's coming. It's coming. And no matter what happens on the earth, don't, don't take your eye off the ball. Stay on target. Eyes on the prize. Stay focused. You know, it's like a horse that has blinders on. And we don't get, the horse doesn't get distracted. It's focused on what's ahead. And so we're just focused on what's ahead. And what's ahead is this marriage. And he says, these are the true sayings of God. And, and John is just so overwhelmed by this vision that this angel is giving him that he writes, and I fell at his feet to worship him. John is just like, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is just, he's just so overwhelmed that he admits to us here that he fell at the angel's feet to worship him. And he said unto me, don't do that. See, you do, the, do it not. I am your fellow servant. This is a mighty angel. And it's amazing that uh, men will, will seek worship. And you have you know, over a billion human beings and, and who, who worship the Pope. He's, he's in place of Christ. Over a billion human beings who worship Muhammad kill anybody who, who says any blasphemy against him. Uh, that men will worship men. And men will accept worship from men. But this mighty angel would not accept worship from John. He fell to his, John fell at his feet to worship him and he said to him, Don't do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. And this is the whole key now. We're, 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 you know, you're blessed and I'm blessed. I'm blessed for reading the words of this prophecy and you're blessed for hearing the words of these prophecy, uh, this prophecy. But it's not just the, the reading and the hearing, it's the keeping. We've got to know what to keep. And what we have to keep is the testimony of Jesus. And this is what Satan wants to take away. But we're going to fight to hold on to the testimony of Jesus. So, uh, hey, I'm a fellow servant with you and, and with your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Worship God. You know, people will say that because we say Christ is God, oh, this is idolatry. Christ is God. Christ is God. We don't, we don't engage in any kind of idolatry. In fact, all these other religions that are rooted in the Babylonian system are, are deep, deep, deep into idolatry. And, and to, to worship God is truth. And the words of the scripture are true. 
And so this is, these words are true and faithful, and the brethren have the testimony of Jesus. Hey, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, so the, the whole, all the prophets who have prophesied have had the testimony of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is all about the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is, is the heart of the matter. And so all of, these, all of this prophecy that John is being given, it's about the testimony of Jesus. And so don't get distracted, John. And John admits to us he, he got, kind of got distracted. He was so overwhelmed with this angel and this, this prophecy that the angel gave him that he worshipped the angel or wanted to worship the angel. And the angel stopped him, interrupted him to tell him that all of this prophecy is about the testimony of Jesus. And I'm just a fellow servant with you and with your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. And he, he goes on to say, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And so we saw a white horse in Revelation chapter 6, and some people are confused. I've even heard brethren in the church, you know, newer brethren, uh, saying that the white horse in chapter 6 is Jesus Christ. Nothing could be further from the truth. Those first five seals are the operation of the devil. Those first five seals, we see the devil at work. And it's not until the sixth seal that God acts. And God tells us in Matthew 24 not to be deceived. When they say, here's Christ or there's Christ, don't be deceived. Because when he comes, the whole, all, all eyes will see him from the east to the west. Everybody's going to see. And it's not until we see the signs in the heavens and this great earthquake, when, when wicked men have lost control, that's when Christ is returning. And so John now has this vision of the heaven opening, and this white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. So he, he, he again, he, he's going to make war, and he's going to condemn, but he does it in righteousness. He does it in righteousness. His eyes were like the flame of fire. So again, every time we, we, ha we see John interacting with this, uh, this, this being, this, this great glorious God, he says his eyes are like flames of fire. And that's exactly what Daniel saw as well. So imagine Christ looking at John or looking at us and we're looking into his eyes and we see this, these great flames of fire. That's, that's what John saw, that that's, that's this great glorious God that, that we serve. His eyes, John says, were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He, he, he had a lot, and again, this is, you know, it's not that literally he has all these crowns, he's going to have all these crowns. This is all symbolic language. This is this, this, the apocalypsis. It's signified. So it's given to John in symbols. And so this symbol he sees he says, you know what? I saw uh, this, this, the Lord on a white horse. The, the heaven opened, this white horse appears. He's riding on it. Uh, his, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And he's, on his head are many crowns. So he sees all these crowns on his head. And he had a name written, which no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. That's who he is. So these crowns are, in chapter 18, we heard it said, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord. So all these crowns that men have been wearing under the auspices of the devil, Christ is taking them away. Taking them away. And he will be the king of all nations. And so here now we read that the reason as well, so we saw earlier, so not only does he have many crowns, but he was clothed with this garment that was dipped in blood. So he had blood on his garment. And, and the reason for that is, again, his judgment. Isaiah writes, I have trodden the winepress alone. So Christ did this by himself. This is why... Uh, uh, John wept that there was nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody under the earth 
who was found worthy to open the, the, the seals. And so he wept. But here he says, uh, John says that he has uh, trodden the winepress alone. Uh, so this is, he can do this because he alone was worthy to open the seals. And so now he can judge. No one else could judge the way Christ can judge. But, but he has fulfilled all the requirements of the law, all the requirements of the covenant. He's able to judge. And so he has trodden the winepress alone. And of the, of the people, there was none with me. So this trotting the winepress, we saw earlier what it means to trot on the grapes. These grapes are wicked people. This is the harvest of wicked men. So first, God harvests the wheat, which are the first fruits, and then he harvests the grapes, which are the wicked men. And he's going to burn them, and the symbolic language here, he's going to crush them. And so this is the wine press, but he does it alone. And of the people, there was none with me, for I will tread them in my anger, and trample, trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. This is why he has blood on his garments. Because it's all symbolic of this judgment. And their blood will be sprinkled on his garment. And I will stain all my raiment. This is how serious he is about this judgment. Isaiah goes on to say, For the day of vengeance is in my heart. And the year of my redeemed has come. This is, this is what God has in his heart. This is what it, this, he's just been waiting patiently. And the saints have been saying, how much longer before you avenge our blood? Well, the day of vengeance is in God's heart. And again, we've got to make sure that we are not trying to be more righteous than God. In God's heart is this day of vengeance. And God says in Ezekiel, through Ezekiel, that you know, put a mark on those who sigh and cry for the evil that is done. I believe it's that they're in, in Jerusalem, but now it's, it's all over the world. And unfortunately, because you know, in Matthew 24, Christ says that because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. We, we won't have this passion for God's truth and this passion for God's judgment. We'll kind of just, it's just around us, come to tolerate it, it's okay, wicked men are not that bad, wicked behavior is not that bad, we have to have what God has. And he says, the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come, and all heaven lights up when he finally judges wicked men. And I looked, and there was none to help. Again, this is uh, what Revelation was referring to, that there was nobody worthy to open this book, this scroll with the seven seals. And Christ is saying here, he himself looked and there was none to help, not one. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation unto me and my fury, it upheld me. And so this is the great God that we serve. He's, an, he's a wonderful God, he's a righteous God. We are looking to him for salvation. And uh, what we'll do now is I'll, I'll go ahead and stop here. We'll continue uh, next week with uh, Revelation 19. Uh, we won't have the chat uh, this evening, but uh, really looking forward to uh, the work that we are doing as we uh, work through this uh, judgment of God and, and see the outcome of his righteousness, which God willing we'll see next week. Thanks for joining. Remember, Jesus Christ is King. He's our Lord. He's our husband. Let us hold on to, let us keep the testimony of Jesus Christ.